Well, I trust you've been blessed over the past 24 hours. And what an exciting uh, time. Great uh, reports on a number of levels, but a great response to the word. And if I could just take a, a brief moment before we plunge into the text and, and uh, to my message for this afternoon. Uh, thank you again to the camp, to the great staff, uh, great leadership here. I'm always impressed with uh, the organization of this camp and how well everything runs so smoothly. And on top of that, uh, the servant's heart of the staff. They really exemplify serving with joy. And uh, I'm grateful to be around you. You have encouraged me, and I know you've encouraged the other men who are here uh, this week. So if we could, just, just give them a, a show of appreciation. And I believe if our Savior tarries, the future of this camp is, is very bright, and God is going to use it in, in great ways. I know many of you uh, work, and you pray, and you give, and you send campers here, and uh, you've sacrificed, you men, uh, work, your schedule, a big part of your weekend to be here. I'm grateful for that, and uh, grateful for the way in which you've responded to the Word. If you could, go ahead and grab your Bible, turn to Hebrews chapter 10. And then I want to examine this question, what's the part you play in church revitalization? Not, not your pastor, not even our association of churches or your state association, but let's ask this, what about you? What part do you play? You know, there's only two options you have as a member of your church, I believe. Either you're helping your church or you're hurting it. You're either helping your church or you are hurting it. Let's wrestle with how you can help your church either to stay healthy or move along in the process of becoming a healthy disciple-making church with a disciple-making culture. Let me first ask this. Uh, how many of you, just out of curiosity, this is your first time ever at the men's retreat at IRBC? Let me see your hands. Wow, look at that number. A good number of men. Praise God for that. And let me ask you this uh, today, I, I'm not trying to embarrass anyone, but I do believe very strongly in this. How many of you are members of your local church? Let me see your hands. Wow, praise God. So overwhelmingly, the vast majority of you are members of your local church. How many of you would answer in the affirmative to this? How many of you want to be a blessing to your local church? Everyone's hands should be up to with that. Hands down, then we can pray for you, I guess, but... How many of you would be heartbroken if your church closed its doors and never opened them again? We'd all be very heartbroken, crushed if that happened. And how many of you would sincerely desire to be a part of a healthy, growing in grace, growing in the Lord, abounding in Christ-like faithfulness kind of local church? You like that? Of course. That's, I think, why we're here. And let's examine now the part you can play in that process. How can you be a part of that process? Let's look at Hebrews 10, and let's pick it up in verse 23, if you would. Let us hold on to the confession of our hope without wavering, since he who promised is faithful. And let us watch out for one another, to provoke one another, to provoke love and good works, 
not neglecting to gather as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging each other and all the more as you see the day approaching. Let's pray together, shall we? Father, we echo what we just sang, hallelujah for the cross. Thank you for Jesus, the Christ, the Son of God, who is our Savior, who is our Lord. And, and Father, I pray that it would be your glory that we're aiming for right now, even in this last session. I understand uh, many men here might be fatigued and uh, some might have a lot of different things on their mind. And I would ask you, Father, at this time to gather our thoughts, take them captive, we pray. And I pray you'd incline our hearts to your ways and open up our eyes to behold wonderful things from your word. And not only that, may we each individually be challenged as to how we could be a blessing in the churches that you've ordained that we would be a part of. Work in our hearts, we ask, Father, in Jesus' name, we pray, and all God's people said together. Amen. Hebrews 10, 23-25, the writer of Hebrews encourages his first century readers throughout the book. He kind of warns them. It's a book of a lot of different warnings. And then we get to chapter 10, and he encourages his readers to do several things here. Notice the text, and here's what I understand from this text, and one of the things I, I could all also mention that would help with church revitalization and to see a church brought back to health, here's what it is. And, and, and this is what I think very few church gurus and experts are talking about. One way to really bless your church is to understand biblical hermeneutics. It's a great way to help your church. And here's how I encourage you to do this. If, if you're able to, maybe audit a seminary class. Take a seminary class for, for real cheap or maybe read some good books on biblical interpretation. But I think one of the main problems we have in our churches is not so much people don't want to read the Bible, is the fact they don't know how. And they don't know how to read it or even apply the principles in different passages that they're reading and the difference between the Old and the New Testament. But one way to greatly bless your church is to know well biblical hermeneutics. Because I think a lot of times it's not so much the statement of faith that a church has, it's the way they handle the Word of God. That is why, friends, biblical exposition is so incredibly important. It must be the vital key component of your church. So here's what he says here to his audience. He says, to encourage or watch out for one another. This isn't being a harsh busybody, constantly being nosy in other people's lives. It's just a real sincere concern that we have for one another. We see somebody going in a bad direction, a dangerous direction, and we look at each other's lives and we watch out for one another. Not just spiritually, but there could be some physical issues that people have. And we honestly, sincerely, in a compassionate way, care for one another. And then he says provoke, and your uh, translation may say stimulate. We stimulate one, one another to what? Love and good works. And then he goes on that, and tells them to be faithful. Faithful to what? To assembling or to gathering together. Okay, so this is why we would say as churchmen who, who take church very seriously that it is a sin to willfully neglect to gather together. Amen? 
That's a sin. It's wrong. And it offends God. And, and one of the reasons why is look what you miss out on when you do not consistently gather together with your brothers and sisters in Christ who you've covenanted with together. And this is another reason why uh, your church membership roles should reflect actually who attends your church. It's vitally important that they reflect the attendance and those who are faithfully coming to your church. You've committed that. And then he says to encourage each other more and more. Now, if I'm understanding this, and then back in chapter 3, we don't have time to get into this, but he says in chapter 3, verse 12, uh, be careful, brethren, that there not be in any one of you an evil, unbelieving heart that falls away from the living God, but encourage one another day after day while it's still called today, so that none of you will be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. So if I'm understanding that text correctly, how often should we be encouraging each other? Every day. Every day, we should make it a top priority on our bucket list to be encouraging other people. And now, because we're so connected with phones and social media and email, just numerous ways we're connected nowadays, it's easier now, I believe, to do two things. One, to encourage each other. There's more availability. And then the bad side of that is there's more opportunities to discourage each other. Let's take the route of Christ-likeness, though. Amen? Let's look for ways to encourage. Look for ways to bless others. Now, let's unpack how this looks. Kind of springboarding from the text, which I hate to do, but I was asked to do it. So blame them for the reason I'm doing this this afternoon. But um, let's just unpack how this looks as to how you can bless your local church. And what part can you play in seeing your church brought back to health? Because typically, here's how most people think about church revitalization and seeing a church brought back to health. Uh, let's say a church has had a real unhealthy trend or trajectory for years, maybe decades, and it keeps going down and down and down. And they think, if they just hire the right pastor, that's going to change. It's going to be him. And we're going to hire Clark Kent, and we're going to put away all the kryptonite, and, and it's going to be great, man. We're going to hire this guy, and he's going to turn this church around. And yes, a pastor plays a big part, but the church often forgets the part that they play. The first church that called me when I first became a pastor, they said on their perspective list there, they wanted a man who was between the ages of 50 and 55, minimum 10 years ministry experience a seminary grad, and a number of other things that I did not meet. And I told them when I preached there, I said, look, I meet none of those things, none of them. But if you want me to come preach, I'll go do that. And then two weeks later, was voted in by a vote of 38 to nothing. 35 of them at that time were old enough to be my grandparents. It was a very old church, and God blessed. God, God did grow it, and, and we saw... We did see numerical growth, we saw budgetary growth, we saw a number of other things, but we saw some other, uh, what you would call maybe peripheral things that God blessed with, and, and the fact that uh, we instituted a healthy church membership and healthy church discipline, and, and saw a little bit more of a culture of disciple making. And, but what it took, it wasn't me, it was really God working through the membership of the church. So let's examine our own hearts now. And let's see what part we're playing in our church, in, in our own local church setting. Let's, let's ask the hard questions, and let's see how we 
can contribute. So I'm going to give you uh, seven thoughts on this, on how you can contribute spiritually to a healthy, vibrant church for God's glory. First one is this, is you personally be a godly man. You personally be a godly man. Let me flip this around a little bit. Man, how would you feel if your pastor in a Sunday morning openly told you that he had not been walking with the Lord all week? He'd not been in the Word. He has not been praying. Let's say he's not treating his wife the way God commands him to treat his wife. What if he said to you, you know what, I'm, I'm just not passionate about the Bible right now, and, and I, I just don't really care about sharing the gospel. How, how would you feel? Would you think, man, should this guy even be preaching? That's a sincere question. It's a very legitimate question. Would you be concerned if a pastor was never sharing the gospel with the lost? Think of the dire and colossal consequences that would have on your local church. Now, men, let's look in the mirror. What if that's your life today? What if we just honestly ask the question and look over the last past seven days? Let's just take the last 168 hours and let's just examine how close you are to the Lord right now, to his word, praying, the nature of your marriage. Would you, would you characterize it that there's growth there? That your love for your wife, if you're married, is growing. Would you say that you're becoming more and more like Christ? And you say, what does this have to do with anything? Well, believe it or not, your, your personal walk with God, your personal godliness as a man has enormous implications for the life of your church. Incredible implications. In the New Testament, here's what you find is the characteristics of godly men. They were men of prayer. They were men who loved the word. If they were married, they were one. They were a one-woman man. That is not just a qualification for a pastor. That's for all of you who are married. You're to be a one-woman man. They were men who pursued holiness. They grew in their knowledge of the word. They boldly shared the gospel. Not only that, but they mentored... They discipled other men. It was just the culture of the New Testament church. And they consistently grew to become more like Christ and less like themselves. That's God's recipe for your local church. It's God's recipe for your life. And if we expect that of pastors, and we should, for Timothy 4, 15 through 16, says their progress should be evident to all, then it should be evident in all of our lives. And one thing that's remarkable about the pastoral qualifications of 1 Timothy 3, I remember D.A. Carson saying this one time, they're not that remarkable. Because God expects that of all of us. That we should have those character traits in all of our lives. God's recipe today for each of you men who know Christ as your Savior. 2 Peter 3.18, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. 2 Corinthians 3.18, we all with unveiled faces are looking as in a mirror at the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory. This is from the Lord who is the Spirit. So ask this, how am I personally growing in the Lord? You want to bless your church, be a godly man. Here's a second thought, is to be a faithful encourager. Be a faithful encourager. Hebrews 10, 
in this passage we just considered emphasizes the need, as chapter 3 did, he beats the drum again in chapter 10 to constantly beat the drum of encouragement. Now, again, if, if you show up to church and all you want is to be noticed, paid attention to, maybe even be the center of attention, making sure everybody knows you're there, can I tell you this lovingly, friend? Be prepared for a very unhealthy church life. Be prepared for a very unhealthy relational life in your local church if you constantly want to be the center. But if your aim and your goal as a member of the body of Christ is to go out of your way and to have as your deepest motive in the recesses of your heart to glorify God by going out of your way to encourage people. How many of you know right now at the top of your head somebody in your church who could use your encouragement right now? Let me see your hands. Go out of your way to encourage them. Tomorrow you have an opportunity. Make that the top priority. You come in and look for ways to encourage. Look, those people are in your life by the sovereign will of God. And it's an amazing thing when you stand up on Sunday morning, God sovereignly brought those people there. None of it's an accident. Because our God is in the heavens. He does all that he pleases, Psalm 115, verse 3. God has ordained it. And the church must be kind of a fortress known for building each other up, not tearing each other down. Looking for ways to encourage others. Consider some specific ways right now how you can encourage others at your church. Look, churches that are dying are discouraged churches. They're discouraged. And think of ways how you can outdo one another in showing each other honor and, and encouraging other people. Number three is this, is to be a personal disciple maker. Okay, so be a godly person, be a faithful encourager, and then personally be a disciple maker. Unhealthy churches will typically have this attitude that says something like this. It's the pastor's job to go out and make disciples. Or they tell a pastor something like this. Pastor, this is what we pay you to do. No, sir. Let me tell you this lovingly. God has mandated you do that. He has mandated every single regenerate, spirit-indwelt child of God to be a disciple maker. Amen, guys? There's two of you who agree with me. Amen? God has ordained that all of us be disciple makers. So, guys, honestly here, humbly, I'm asking myself these questions too. But, but let's humbly ask some hard questions. Okay, so look at the life of your church. If you don't like where it's at, then ask yourself these questions. Instead of just going to the pastor and running to him or pastors and, and asking, why aren't you doing this? Ask yourself this. Who are you sharing Christ with? Again, I, I said this earlier today, and I told you this was coming. Who are you sharing Christ with? Do you have names of lost people you're praying for? Who are you personally mentoring in the church? Who are you discipling? Who are you taking under your wing? Some of you have been married a long time. Maybe your marriage exemplifies a godly marriage. You can disciple young couples. I don't know about you, but uh, you know, to have a godly marriage in this culture is not an easy thing. Amen? We need to help one another with that. We need to encourage one another. Uh, maybe there's somebody you know, they're having troubles with one of their children, and you could come alongside and help them. You might be in a position financially to help someone out who's going through a difficult time, who just lost a job, who might have a mountain of medical bills. 
look, God may have blessed you where you can come alongside, maybe anonymously help them and encourage them financially. One major common denominator of churches that are on life support is this mentality. Our pastors just weren't doing the work. That may be true. I'm not questioning the validity of that statement. What I do question is, for, is whether or not people are looking in the mirror and sincerely considering, am I doing the work God has commanded me to do? Am I personally doing this? Listen to Ephesians 4, 11 through 13. You know these verses well, perhaps. And he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers, equipping the saints for the, get this here, you probably know this, work of the ministry. Please, men, let's not make this abstract or theoretical. Let's make it personal. Me, involved in the work of the ministry, to do what? to build up the body of Christ until we all reach the unity and the faith and in the knowledge of God's Son, growing into maturity with a stature measured by Christ's fullness. If I'm reading the text correctly, guys, we all play a part in that. You may not have the same platform as a pastor. You may not have the same background, but there's some way you can help in your church to be a personal disciple maker. Number four is this. Submit to and encourage pastoral leadership. Submit to and encourage pastoral leadership. I'm going to read a verse that I believe pastorally is the most awkward verse for a pastor to preach. Hebrews 13, 17. Guys, if you're just starting out in ministry, you know, I firmly believe you ought to preach the whole counsel of God. That doesn't mean you preach the whole counsel of God all at the same time. This verse is probably not the first verse you should preach your first Sunday in church. Obey your leaders and submit to them, since they keep watch over your souls as those who will give an account, so that they can do this with joy and, and not with grief, for that would be unprofitable for you. It'd be unprofitable for you. Let's ask a hard question today. Are you a joy for your pastor to shepherd? Well, you don't understand. My pastor, this, this, and this, fill in the blank, X, Y, and Z, A, B, and C. I'm not asking that. You might be right about all of those things. But you do realize the pastor you have in your church right now is the pastor that God sent. It's the pastor that God sent. And, and I want you to ask this question. Are you a joy to shepherd? Are you a joy? Here's a common trait of many churches that are dying. It's this. They have a very low view of the pastorate. They don't look at the office of pastor biblically. Oh, I, I know. They would say, yeah, we do. And they would have the right passages and be able to quote them. But in their orthopraxy, it looks much different. In fact, here's some common traits. They tend to make life very difficult for their pastors. And so, in turn, there's very short pastoral tenure in those churches. It's like they spit out pastors just like every couple of years. They question or rebel against every new initiative he presents. Here's something that will really cripple your church is assume the worst about your pastor or pastors. Constantly question motives, assuming the worst. They don't encourage or bless his wife and children. 
And they won't be fed by his preaching. Pastors who have people who are a joy to serve tend to have the most fruitful ministries. It's hard for them to leave their churches. They're not like, you know, leaving their church saying, yes, you know, the way I feel when I leave the dentist, okay? It's not like that. It's like, oh, man, I don't want to leave. It's like, it's like when I leave a Cubs game after they've won. I, I don't want to leave this, man. This is so awesome. Amen, guys? Yeah, about half of you. We've got some prayer in this state that's needed. But, uh, you know, it's just, you just, you see that they don't want to leave that church because they've been such a blessing to them. Think of ways right now that you can be a joy to your pastor or pastors. Think of ways. And guys, I want to give you full disclosure here. Nobody in leadership in this state, nobody in leadership in this camp encouraged me to say any of this. I was a pastor for a long time. I know how this is. I know the inning and I know the score. It can be very difficult and grueling and draining. And look, I pastored two really awesome churches with, with great congregations who loved me and loved my family. It, it was, really was a joy. But I hear the horror stories all the time from different pastors. And look, think of ways that you can be a blessing to those whom God has ordained to lead your church. I'll hasten through this. Number five. Be fired up about your church. Be fired up about your church. Uh, I often tell pastors this. Look, it would be a real problem if I were more excited about your church than you are. That would be a real problem. I look out. There's people here fired up about the Iowa Hawkeyes. There's a couple fired up about Iowa State, I guess. Uh, there's some people fired up about the Cubs and the Bears and then there's these red hats that have STL on them. It's just it's like, oh, man. So we need to help this gentleman. He's speaking in tongues, guys, so let's help him. So, <laughs> But be a cheerleader for your church. Be more of a cheerleader for your church than you would be for any political candidate. Or, or for this matter, let's take it a step further, guys, than any sports team. I like sports, man. I love my teams, and it's great, and it's fun. But man, I want to be more fired up about my local church. And at the GRBC National Conference about a month and a half ago, we gave away these little stickers to everyone who registered. They were there on everyone's seats. It says, I heart, I love my church. I pray you can say that. I love my church. Your wife, your children, your friends, your family, coworkers, those you associate with all should know should be obvious to them. You love your church family. You love your church. And this should include conversations you have. Could be in the church foyer. Could be there in the church auditorium. In the spirit in which you engage other members, it should be evident you love your church. And the peace and the unity of that church matters deeply to you because the way you communicate about your church expresses where your heart is in regards to your local church. Be careful, friend, about comparing your church maybe to trendy or popular churches. Be careful. I live in the Chicago area. 20 minutes from where we live is Willow Creek Community Church. 20 years ago, it was the thriving, most popular church really in America. 
Now it's not meeting its budget. It's a shell of what it used to be, and the building looks like a mall. Be careful about comparing yourself, okay? You want to go five, no, ten minutes down the road is, this is going to sound very familiar to you, Harvest Bible Chapel. A church that really is a shell of what it used to be. A church that has gobbled up a couple of our association churches, to speak very frankly with you, in the years gone by. And what happened in both of these cases, you find churches built around personality, not around the person of Jesus Christ. I'll just flat out go out and say it. I'll be very bold about this, and I want to be loving when I say this. I want to be wise as well, but friends, let's be careful here. The church is God's. And when we talk about the church, we're talking about the bride of Christ. And the church you're in is the church that God has led you to. And friends, we ought to rejoice that God's using other churches. Praise God for that. I rejoice wherever Christ is preached, while at the same time realizing God sovereignly led you to your church. Here's some popular phrases you'd have never heard 150 years ago, maybe even 100 years ago. We hear them all the time now. Here they are. Church shopping. As if you're buying shampoo or something or a car. You know, church shopping. Here's another one. Church hopping. Dig in your Bible, guys. You don't find that principle in there. Church hopping, church shopping. How about a YouTube or a podcast church? Be certain, friend, that your mentality about your church is one of commitment, family, loyalty, love, patience, and more than anything, that it's biblical. It's deeply immersed in biblical truth. Let's look at number six here. Face your church's challenges with honesty and resilience. Face your church's challenges with honesty and resilience. So I'm not advocating here we have our head in the sand kind of mentality that's ignoring some issues your church might be facing. We should face them honestly. The Bible speaks honestly to things. It never never beats around the bush or pushes it under the rug. In order to move forward, you have to realize what you're up against and what the strengths of your church are and what the weaknesses of your church may be. Maybe your church needs to teach and practice restorative, loving church discipline. Maybe that's hurting your church right now, that you're not doing that. Praise God, his word is sufficient. His grace is sufficient. He will help you through this process. It could be your membership roles fail to reflect those who faithfully attend your public services. You have a great opportunity there to disciple your church. Help them through this and encourage them through this. This doesn't happen overnight. It requires loving, faithful, gentle, patient, bold shepherding. Come alongside your pastors and help them. It might be that there's kind of a toxic subculture within your church that, that needs to be lovingly confronted and, and it's never really been dealt with but God will give grace. He'll help you with this. It's his church, and this stuff's more important to him than it is even to us. It could be that you need to face the fact that, that the metrics indicate here, just looking at the, the honest metrics of your church, there's a decline that's there. Maybe decline in giving, a decline in attendance, overall momentum, maybe enthusiasm for the church. But let me tell you this. Here's why you should be resilient and optimistic and fired up about the church God has brought you to. Christ is the Savior of your church. Christ is the head of your church. 
Jesus loves your church infinitely more than you do. The word is what brings life to a lifeless church. And I'll say it again. Any strategy of church revitalization that does not have as its center core the faithful exposition of uh, preaching of God's word is a bad strategy. That has to be central. The word will never return empty. You realize that? Guys, how many of you preach about every Sunday? Okay. How many of you would honestly say from time to time you've laid an egg? Okay. You just drop the ball. And then all of a sudden you hear several weeks later that sermon had a great impact on someone's life. Why? Because the word never returns empty. It never returns empty. The gospel is still the power of God into salvation. And God will work through humble and teachable people. Humble and teachable people. Lastly is this. Be a teachable and flexible person. Immerse yourself, as I said just a couple hours ago, of what it means to have the mind of Christ. Philippians 2, 3 through 4, do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility, consider others as more important than yourselves. Everyone should look out not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. The overall health and the future of our church, if the Lord tarries, is far more important than my personal preferences. And, and when I have something in church that may not float my boat or it may not be something that I prefer, I have to ask, okay, is this a biblical conviction or is this just something I'm not comfortable with? Am I willing to overlook this? Am I willing to serve other people? Friends, be a unifying presence in your church. Be that person. Be the man who can disagree with others while, get this, still maintain your testimony. Still have a good testimony, even when you disagree with others. And friends, let's understand, the church is something that you play a part in. Let's, let's shift the paradigm away, the mindset that says, well, it's the pastor, it's the leadership. Let's understand, we're Baptists, so we believe in the priesthood of the believer. It's the part I play as well. What part can I play in seeing my church revitalize and come back to life? Hey, guys, thank you so much. You have been a rich blessing to fellowship with and to share the word with. I'm going to pray. I'm going to pray for you, and I'm going to pray for your churches, and then uh, turn it over to Chad. So let's pray together. Father, uh, we commit ourselves to you. May we be a faithful presence in our local churches. Father, I pray we'd recognize the part that we play. May we have a biblical view of the pastor, a biblical view of what it means to be a part of the church body. And Father, please help us to be godly men. Godly men, not so we brag or boast about our godliness, but so we can be more effective for you and your glory and serving others more effectively. Please bless every pastor that's here, every person here who's blessed to be a part of a local church. May you encourage the pastors today. Some of them might be a little behind in study. Uh, may you give them a fruitful day tomorrow as they open up your word and proclaim your truth to your sheep. And I pray, Father, for each and every local church represented here. May they be fruitful. May they be a disciple-making church. May they take your word seriously. Give them, I pray, unifying churches. Churches that are serious about the Great Commission. Churches that reflect biblical health. And Father, may we all recognize the part that we play in this. 
We love you. We commit ourselves to you. And we ask this all in Jesus' name. And all God's people said together, amen.